Hi, and welcome to EC Honestly with Kayla and Lisa. Here we discuss the ups and downs of working in the field of early childhood education. So listen, hopefully learn, and enjoy. Before we begin, I would just like to acknowledge with gratitude that I am speaking to you from the unceded and traditional territory of the Coast Salish peoples here in Port Moody, which includes the Tsleil-Waututh, Squamish, and Musqueam peoples, and Quaquitlam, pardon me. So on this week's episode, I am honored to be speaking with Ward Nakata. Did I pronounce that right? Yeah, that's, that's perfect. Ward Nakata. So Ward, um, you're an early childhood educator, but more specifically, you're an infant toddler educator. And you were briefly telling me about how you were working with very young babies right now. Yeah, we have a lot of young babies right now that are uh, our youngest one just started five months old. Oh our youngest we've had has been three. We've had, we've had a couple of three-month-old babies Wow! in our care before. That must be so not just men, like physically demanding, but also very mentally demanding. Yeah. It's, you, you know what I find this age group is emotionally draining. Mm, yes. It is physical too. Like everybody has sore backs and achy muscles from the picking up all the time and the, the cuddling and the rocking to sleep or the uh, change, changing on the change table up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, but I find it more emotionally draining. At the end of the day, I am just white just from, from how much outpouring of emotions that you, that you give to such young children. For sure. But I think that's also like, it speaks so much to you as an educator, you know, you're talking about, yes, the emotional, you know, being there emotionally with the children, but you know, also about like, there's such an element of care when you talk about how you're with the children, right? Like, you're talking, you know, the rocking, the holding, the, you know, the cuddling, you know, because they need that at that young, at that age, especially, you know, being away from their parents. Yeah, absolutely. They need that, that there was an article reading about the power of touch. Okay. That's what the infants need is that, that, that physicality, that, that swaddling, that, that, like you said, that, that cuddling and the, and the cradling. Yeah. I love that. That's amazing. Um, so yeah, so I would just like, I guess, to start off this, um, this interview by, uh, tell us about yourself. How long have you been working in this field? Um, so it might sound crazy, but probably over 30 years Wow. So you got lots of experience. I have lots of experience. (laughs) And with all age groups, I started um, actually helping out, volunteering at a elementary school. And one of my um, cousins, who's a kid, she was a grade one teacher at the time, needed some backup, some help for some of her projects she was working on. And I was working nights at the time at a construction job, like completely like construction to early childhood education. Big <laughs> like one, two completely different ends oh, of the spectrum. Two completely different. <laughs> um, so I was working at night and I was volunteering and helping her during the day at a elementary school. And then one day they had a, an OSC, so an out of school care. The Y had a facility at that school. And they, the Y came to pick up the kids from her class and they, and the educator there said, oh, so your ward, you're the guy they're talking about at, like the kids are talking about, oh, it's nice to meet you. Have you ever thought about working for the Y with, with children? And it just happened to be at that time when he, when he approached me 
the contract that I was working at in this construction job was ending. So okay. I was like, I'm out of a job in a couple of weeks. I'll <laughs> go check it out. Yeah, why not, right? <laughs> I was like, I'm not doing anything. And I loved working with, with these groups of kids, right? They're, I mean, they were six, seven years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started, so I went in to apply to talk. She goes, so he gave me the number. Here's a person to meet, go into the Y and, and talk to my boss. I went in, talked to her for about an hour, half an hour, an hour. And she said, can you start tomorrow? Oh, wow. Can you start tomorrow? Um, it's at this center, be there at two o'clock. And I went, sure, why not? And that's how I started. I, and I worked for the Y for almost five years. Wow. Yeah. And I got up to as like, um, I was running a center. So I was like a senior at one of the Y centers. Right. Um, they asked me to open up a center from scratch. Okay. Uh, that center started to go. So I got it all going up and running. They had staff hired. The staff that was there, the senior that was working there, um, just ran the place down, I guess. Oh, geez. They, so they fired, they fired that person and asked me if I can, if I would step in. So they were like losing numbers. Ugh. The program was just falling apart. And this is after the first year. Oh, geez. So I said, oh, sure, I'll come in. Like, whatever they tell me to go, I'll go. Yeah. <laughs> and within the year, I had a waiting list going. I had parents just coming and helping out like crazy. Um, and here I am. I didn't. I didn't have a clue. I had zero training whatsoever. I think everything was just coming out organically, just naturally stuff like stuff that I was th- thought about. So this was like again thirty years ago. Yeah. And, and I'm doing a Monday morning. I would do a big circle, which I had no idea even what a circle was back then. And I would ask every child, every kid in the program. What do you want to do this week? What do you want to do this week? I want to write a list, and that's how we would program. I that love week. that. And I was, and then, again, like I said, zero training at the time. Yeah. And me and my coworker, we would plan the whole week out of what we're going to do, get supplies, and all this stuff. Um, and that's how we would run the program. Um, also, every Friday, so this is how we started every Friday because I didn't know any of the parents. Right? You have like forty parents, and I'm like, I don't know any of these people. Right. So every Friday, me and my coworker would make dinner for the whole group if they wanted to stay. Oh my god, I so, love that. So this was this was on our own time. So Friday night, they could stay. Parents could stay. We would, and it'd be you know, hot dogs, pizza, yeah, uh, whatever, right? Some big thing. Simple, so, easy, but like it, totally. Your point is to create community, right? That's what it was: and connection and meeting these parents and getting to know them and them to know us, right? Building that those connections and those that relationship. Right. I, I had no idea what I'm doing. I was just like, okay, this just feels right. I love that. So they would stay over. And then they, that way they didn't have to cook dinner. They could hang out, free meal. If they were in a hurry here, grab a hot dog and off you go. Um, but I think that's, like you said, that, that created a, such a strong sense of community. That's why the program started to just thrive like crazy. Um, so, but now you're no longer working with an older age group. Yeah. So I so, so that's where I started. Yeah. And then I started and I thought to myself, I should get some training in this. I should get some like I have, I should, am I doing this right? I don't know. Maybe I, I should read a book. <laughs> so that's why I, that then I took the early childhood program at at my, the local college. 
Okay. And when I started there, I went I, first day in class. I was surprised to see I was the only male. It was a class of, of 30 students. And I'm looking around like, how come there's no other guys in here? What the? And um, yeah, that was, I, I thought, for me, I find that's it. Because in out-of-school care, there is some males in there, more, more males in out-of-school care than there are in, like you said, infant care. Totally. So I was surprised when I first walked into the class. I'm like, what the heck? I'm the only male here. And I can tell you, um, you know, being, you know, somebody who identifies as a woman, you know, being in school, when you saw that one guy, you were like, wow, like there's a guy in here. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, yeah, it's nuts how even, you know, you're talking of an experience, you know, quote 30 years ago, you know, it's, it's still rare that we see men in, in classrooms or, you know, more specifically in, you know, out in the field, especially with a young age group. Yes, especially with the young age group. Yeah. I know I was, I was talking, when I was talking to my instructors, I was the first male student that they graduated. Wow. Out of that college. So they said they've had a few males before, like come right. in, but they, all of them have dropped, dropped out after the first or second semester. Um, and they always dropped out during their practicums because I don't no idea why, but probably my, my guess is pay is why they did it or, or yeah. it was just too much pressure on them, maybe. Maybe, yeah. I'm not sure. That's really but, yeah. So the first male student to to graduate from that program. So once I graduated, I did do three to five for a few years. I did parent participation preschool. After that, I went into the, the toddlers, um, and then I hit infants. So mm-hmm. so what I what I joke about when I when I when I talk about my career is I went from school-aged to out-of-school care to three to fives to toddlers and now I'm at infants so my next logical placement would probably be like prenatal classes or something I love it I say you go for it (laughs) prenatal now it's just I've just been going younger and younger and younger yeah (laughs) but I I I think I love the infants actually if you if you notice as they go younger and younger the, the ratio drops lower and lower Yes, totally. And I think part of, like, even from the, the previous story I was telling you about with the um, making the dinners and stuff is the relational practice part is, is for me, my strongest piece, I think, or what speaks to me the most. Mm-hmm. And have stronger relational practice when you have that lower ratio. Yes, totally. And that's the part I really love is being able to spend time and get to know each child each parent, grandparents, siblings on a, on a stronger basis mm-hmm. than, than, you, than I can with three to fives. With, when you have 25 kids plus part-times, you're looking at like what, 40 kids sometimes in your program. Totally, so, yeah. So yeah. it's so hard to keep track of, of them that it's doable, but it's so hard. Yeah, no, totally. And I mean, like, yeah, like you said, there is something to say about being able to build those stronger relationships when your ratio is that much smaller. Um, And I mean, especially like you were saying with, um, with infants, right, you, you do have to get very personal with them. Um, And especially because, you know, they, you really need to earn uh, their trust. um, And that does not come, that does not come easy. You, you prove that you are a trustworthy person to a baby. (laughs) Totally. And I, I think babies respond differently um, because they don't have, they haven't built those experiences. They don't have those 
those filters so they they're they're they base their trust on like in it's almost like an, an intrinsic kind of kind of value of of do I trust this person or not? You know what I mean? It's, it, yeah. it comes more from within as opposed to say a five-year-old, a three-year-old, they've had, they have, they have something to base it of uh, their feelings on, or they have experiences to go, Oh, I trust this person. Or it's not, I don't trust this person or I'm weary of this person. Infants just, you have to have this sort of feeling with them. I think. Yeah. I, I completely agree. And it's funny, like, even with some of my, with some of my children um, right now that are in my care that I've known um, for, I want to say eight months now um, with some of them, <laughs> I mean, and, and certain children will just connect, will have a deeper connection with other educators than with yourself um, and, you know, vice versa, right? Child A might prefer going to you than going to your co-educator, but I think the important aspect is, I mean, yes, we know that certain children will prefer certain adults in the room over others, but at the end of the day, does that child know that if that person is not there, that they are still comfortable to go with the other educators in the room? That's true. And, and I think that also, that also speaks to the, the, um, the feel of your center or, or your philosophy and your, the, the mood that you create in mm -hmm. your center that, that of that safeness so of that comfortable of, you know what I mean? That sort of that, that culture that you create at the center. Mm -hmm. yeah. helps not only the children, but like the other families and the parents and, and visitors that come in, they can, they can feel that, that energy in that room. Mm -hmm. and that's all created by the educators in the room. Totally. I love that. Um, and so, I mean, we were talking briefly about how we were saying that, you know, it is extremely rare. I mean, even in this day and age, it's 2021 to see male ECEs. Um, and from my understanding, it's also not uncommon that some people may have a hard time um, with a man caring for their child, more so, I think, in an infant toddler center. And so I'm curious to know, um, as I'm sure many of our um, listeners might be curious to know if, have you experienced hardships that are hardships, excuse me, um, that maybe your female co-educators may not have faced um, because of your gender? Oh, absolutely. Although, I know in, from my experience or just from my situation, I guess, I found it, um, harder working with the older age groups. I found the parents of, I have, I had more negative biases with the three to five age groupings. And a lot of the parents wouldn't come to me directly to voice their concerns. They would, they would secretly go to my coworkers. Oh or, yeah. So I've, I've had conversations after the child leaves award, by the way, I think I should share with you now that this parent approached me and talked to me about this and they feeling uncomfortable about putting, putting their child to sleep in the nap room or chain or that kind of stuff or helping them in the bathroom or, or taking them on walks, but they don't come to me that. So the parents don't, didn't 
come to me. They came to my coworkers to express this. And some of the coworkers were like, totally stood up and go like, no, he's fine. We, we, you know, he's all, he's part of our program. Yeah. He's a great person. That, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, and then, um, but they would often, so they would sort of calm their fears or concerns. Mm-hmm. But, they would also, but what they would mostly do, would, they would allow the parents just to witness that positive role modeling. modeling. It right. was like, what do you watch him with your child? And, and watch how he interacts, watch the language he uses, watch how he's handling this. Yeah. And then once they kind of see that, they go, okay, they feel a little bit better about it. Right. Um, and I've had so many, I had a lot of conversations, again, this is all with mostly with three to fives of how their child, they would, the parents would come up and said, oh, by the way, just to let you know that my child is afraid in Brack of men. So don't be surprised if they won't interact with you. Don't be surprised if they don't come to you because they're afraid of men. Oh dear. I know. And I'm like, okay. So I was like reading between the lines going, okay, sure. But those are the families that I would, I also would have to work harder. Yeah. But for me, it's almost like I have to work extra hard to prove myself. Yeah. Then, then a lot of my female coworkers would have to. They, they I, get the respect and the, the safety and automatically just because they're female. Me, I have to, I have to like triple my output of, of, of professionalism, of how I, how I talk about myself, how I talk about their, their children, how I talk about others. Yeah. I have to be basically on edge when I'm, when I'm dealing with parents. And I would assume as well, almost having to like prove your trustworthiness, right? Oh. And I mean, it's really unfortunate that even coming back to the comment that you were saying about, you know, certain parents, and I, I, I have to say that I find it very surprising that this was more common um, with three to five than with infant and toddler. Um, and the reason I say that is because I think there are more, um, for lack of better words, intimate moments that happen with infants and toddlers, mm. um, just because they are so much smaller and they need, you know, they need more of our help, you know, like um, diaper changing or, you know, having, you know, when they get totally, you know, when they wear their lunch instead of eating it, right? Like how many times a day do we have to, you know, take off an entire outfit and wipe them down and then put on new clothes, right? Constantly, constantly. Yeah, especially if it's like a soup day or something, right? Or they'll spit up on themselves or they drool down the side. Yeah. They burp and and go blah. And then you got to like, all right, change another outfit. Yeah, totally. Um, But again, kind of coming back to what I was saying, uh, I I do find that very surprising um, that you did get that that hardship from three to fives and how unfortunate it is that, you know, we're coming back to the comment of my child is scared of men, um, which is extremely unfortunate because, I mean, we, we don't want children growing up fearing an entire gender. I mean, And I understand also like where that comes from, especially, you know, maybe culturally um, for certain people. Um, And that in itself is a whole other, is a whole other can of worms um, that we could dissect. But again, just it's unfortunate that you have to prove yourself 10 times harder based on nothing more than, you know, 
identifying as male, whereas, you know, your, your female co-educators, they can just show up to work and really not be questioned about why they're there just based on the fact that they're women and, you know, the field of early childhood and very much any field or sector that has to do with care has always been associated as quote women's work. Yeah. That's, that's unfortunate. Um, Totally judged by different standards. Totally. And I mean, yeah, that's, it's insane. And also not only that, you know, not being judged by different standards, but also not, for those families to almost have to go behind your back and express these concerns. Right. And then that also must be, you know, it, it must've been so um, disheartening for yourself. Right. Because, you know, you know, the type of person you are, you know, your, ed- your co-educators know the type of educator you are. And I mean, clearly, you know, when you're talking about your first experience and, you know, the, you know, a a complete strangers coming up to you and saying, you know, you're the amazing person that these children cannot stop talking about that in itself is, should be enough to resonate to say, you know, I'm a good person. I'm a good educator. These kids like me, you know, clearly, clearly I'm doing something right. right. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, I'm obviously doing something right. Otherwise they wouldn't be coming to me or talking with me or Totally. So you face these prejudices um, and you did mention that you do, you know, you did have educators um, who, who did stand up for you, which is, I think, vital. Um, Are you, I'm curious if you're still kind of overcoming um, these, these prejudices or hardships. Um, I'm finding now that because I'm working with the infant toddlers and because of, maybe it's because, you know what, maybe it is because of the smaller ratio that I get to know the parents more. You know what I mean? Like I, so, so I get to have more interactions. I have more dialoguing with, with the parents. They, they know where I'm coming from more. And, and they also see, I mean, again, 30 years of, of doing this, they see my experience is valuable. Yes. Um, also maybe, I guess I, these are all maybes is maybe they, because now I'm, I identify also as the senior supervisor. They're going, mm-hmm. oh, he has more power. So maybe he must be trusted to have, to be in that kind of position. Yes. Um, up here, especially up at UBC, mm-hmm. he must be okay. Otherwise they wouldn't put him in, in this kind of position. Yeah. Maybe. Well, especially with a society that has, you know, such, you know, the their, their reputation, you know, is extremely well known, you know, not only in Vancouver, but, you know, provincially, and I think to an extent federally, yeah. um, on, on the work that is done um, with children. Yeah, so I mean, that's part of it. Too. Mm-hmm. And I, I also think, so I know part of my hypothesis is, is because there's a lot of first time parents that we get, they don't know any different. Right. You know what I mean? Like, oh, here's it. Here's the day, you know, here's my first experience with daycare. Oh, they have male and female. Oh, I guess this is the way it is. Yeah, so they, don't, they don't judge as much, maybe. Right. Because I've, I've also had, I've also heard stories from these past parents too that come in. They're like, I thought every center had males in it. I was like, not every. You oh. might see about two up here out of thirty. Yeah. A male educator in it, so they find. So a lot of parents come back and they're they're surprised that every other center they've gone to, from the center that I work at. Right. Don't have males in it. 
and actually they are a lot of them are disappointed mm. because, I, are, because there's no real there's no male role model for their child totally that's something that is extremely lacking in you know in in a early childhood education especially um infant toddler <laughs> education um and i have to say like i I had thought, and this is, I mean, this is how, how, how lacking our field is in male educators. You know, I, I think I did, we did an Instagram story once uh, of people asking us questions and somebody asked if I had ever worked with a male educator. And I said, no. And then I had to reflect on it and I go, no, wait a minute. I have worked with a male educator. It just, I think it was like once, maybe five years ago and another time, like maybe six months ago, but it's so far and in between that you know, as, as awful as it sounds, and, and I feel horrible for, for saying this, but like, you forget about it so easily. We're unmemorable, are we? Well, and, and not even unmemorable, but you're just, you know, because, and I, and I don't want to say unmemorable by any means, because, you know, reflecting back on this, I, there is a different energy that um, having a male educator does bring to your classroom. And, and it's, and I'm not saying this is a negative thing. I'm saying this is extremely positive. Um, you know, the children respond differently. There's, there's almost an awe, like, wow, there, there's a man in here. Cause they're always surrounded by women. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's so, it's very, um, it's astounding in, in a great way, just the uh, you know, the, how how it affects the classroom and how the children respond to it. Yeah. I mean, um, it's funny. Even uh, pre-COVID, um, my now husband, um, you know, when we were dating, it was not uncommon that if he got off from work early, he'd say, "Hey, like, I'll come visit you." And it was, and that was something that was totally fine with, um, you know, with my uh, senior educators or supervisors at the time. Um, and I remember, you know, working in a, in a room that was just infants at the time, if he would come and, and visit me for a brief, you know, for a brief period, you know, the, the look of awe in those babies eyes, like, what, who is this new person? <laughs> and they would flock to him. And, you, you know, if somebody need, or if uh, one of the children's shoes fell off, they wouldn't come to us. They would go to him because this is a new person that we want to see. And what, what's this person doing here? And what are they up to? When, when I was, when I was subbing, it'd be the exact, like those experiences. I, I can totally relate to those experiences going in, subbing at different centers. I've like, they, Oh, Ward, can you do this with me? Oh, I, I want him to put me to sleep. I want to go on his group. I want to be in his circle. I want to yeah. do, yeah. <laughs> I would get the same, I would get this, this, the same thing. And I, I mean, I, I think that's such a great thing, right? Especially if we're talking about like this, you know, coming back to this idea of my child fears men, I mean, what you, you know, we're, we're kind of counteracting that by having, like you said, male role models, positive real role models, male role models, my goodness, that was a tongue twister, um, you know, in our classrooms, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's amazing. Um, but I also think like you were saying, you know, it's crucial to work in a society that's going to stand up for you. You know, the yeah. fact that, you know, you are a professional more so like you said, now being a senior educator, and you're as trustworthy as any other person that they hire, you know, who meets um, the high standard of qualifications that anybody would go through regardless of gender. 
absolutely. And I think when you're talking about um, people coming in, a male coming into a room, it is, it's a different kind of, um, when you talk about different kind of energy, definitely different kind of energy, different kind of role model that, that steps in. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think it's, for, for me personally, I think I've stayed in this field long, this long, 30 years, because I, I, for me, I feel like I have the opportunity to raise awareness of the impact and the importance of having a male presence um, in children's growth and development. Mm-hmm. Um, right? The more diverse, a more diverse workforce significantly, significantly improves the quality of a childcare setting by exposing children to more a wider range of positive role models. Yes, totally. I I 100% agree with that. Um, and so, you know, we've, I think we've made this clear. We're definitely la- lacking in gender diversity. Um, but so speaking from your experiences as a male ECE, I mean, why do you think that we still don't see a whole lot of male educators in early learning, you know, even in this day and age? I think the main, I mean, it, the main what blocking point mm-hmm. is definitely the income, the salary. Like, like traditionally, the males are the primary. Traditionally, they're the primary income earn, income earners for the families, right? The main breadwinners. Yes. And this field does not promise high salaries for sure. We're so, lucky if we can make a decent living wage. <laughs> Totally, absolutely, <laughs> right, right. So I think so, and even there's no promise of it going up and up and up right, right now, right. So I think this discourages men from even entering this kind of of vocation. Mm-hmm. Even myself. So I, like I said, even before I, I was working more in construct. I was making more construction thirty years ago than I'm making now thirty years later. Wow. You know what I mean? I was making like 35 bucks an hour doing construction work back then, right? I was like, even pre that in my twenties, when I was, you know, like years ago, I was just pumping gas and I was, I was making more pumping gas than I was working. My starting wage at UBC was less than me pumping gas when I first started. Holy and that's it's, uh, that kind of shows you value almost, right? Yeah. Like, like somebody pumping your gas is more, I'm going to pay them more than I'm going to pay this educator looking after my child for eight hours. Totally. It's unbelievable. unbelievable. So that's- I think, I think money is definitely a factor. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think, you know, and not just for male educators, but I think, Money is definitely a factor for a lot of, you know, for a lot of people leaving the field right now, even, right? And especially in Vancouver, right? Or BC, it's like, it's so high, cost of living is so high here. Yeah. That you need to make, even just to make a living, it needs to be a a decent wage. And yeah. And like I said, this this field is not a high paying um, field. No. I mean, not only that, I mean, you add in like poor terms and conditions as in 
no pension, where's your benefits? You know, some people don't get any sick days or you get 12 sick days a year and that's it for, so if if you're a male with a family, Mm -hmm. I'm going to need to take more than 12 days off in a year for my kids sick. I'm sick. Mm -hmm. I have no vacation pay. I only get two weeks of vacation. You know, how am I going to take the kids on a vacation if I only have two weeks and I need to use it for their sports days and their, there, oh, there's a ceremony. I got to go to that. And there goes your vacation time right there eaten up. Yeah, totally. So there's a lot of other other things like like that too. And, and again, I think males are more reluctant to enter a field that's not respected and valued, right? Yeah, no, definitely. I think especially like you were saying, you know, we, we're still seeing very much um, that, you know, like you were saying, men are very much still the pri- primary... Um, <laughs> breadwinners you know for families and I can tell you right now like and and I've said and I've said this before I mean like I'm you know I'm in a situation where I'm extremely fortunate that you know or I should say we are extremely fortunate that my husband makes an extreme like a really good living wage um god forbid something were ever to happen to us like to my job we could easily live if he was just working, but we could not not really. if God forbid something happened to him. And educator, would that scenario still play out? Pardon if, me? If he, if, if he was an early childhood educator, that would look different for you, for you and your. 100%, you know, it, it's, it's so unfortunate. And I mean, like, <sighs> not, I mean, not only unfortunate, but it's extremely disheartening. Um, I think especially now that, you know, we've, we've gone through, through a pandemic and you were, you know, we were deemed an essential service and we love our ECEs, but you're still not given the same respect. You know, you're, our wages have still remained low yet we are expected to do more work and, you know, show up and continue doing what we have to do, you know, for the same amount of pay under harder conditions. Yes. Under harder conditions and, and more, more duties placed on us with cleaning and checks and, uh, you know, I mean, a lot more conversations with parents about COVID tests. Like there's so much more, pressure and responsibilities thrown on mm-hmm. on frontline educators because of this as well but do okay. we get compensated for it no <laughs> not a thing no no so yeah no that would it, I mean when you take that all into account I mean it definitely makes sense as to why that would be you know such a such an output for for men you know looking to go into this field and I, I think it's rare, not rare too, but I think for, for me, it shows my dedication mm-hmm. to the field in that I stayed this long. So my wife is also an early childhood educator. Okay. So can you imagine both of us doing the same <laughs> wages, raising a family with three kids in Vancouver? You guys are superheroes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there. It is, it, we, so we've definitely, what would you call it, sacrificed some, some things 
to stay in the field that we both love. My hat's off to you for that dedication because I mean, not, not everybody, you know, not everybody has that. And more specifically, I don't think a lot of us um, would still have that drive to continue going. And I think that just speaks volume volumes, um, you know, to you as an educator, you as a person and, somebody who, you know, not only loves maybe their profession, but also just, you know, has such a high regard for care um, and more specifically for the care of young children, because that is, you know, it's so rare to see. And more specifically, it's even rarer to see it, um, you know, in a male educator. Oh, thank you. So yeah, a big applause to you. Um, and so again, we were saying that this field, um, of EC is still predominantly female. I mean, even in this day and age, um, but we are slowly starting to see more educated, uh, male educators, um, especially with younger age groups, like infants and toddlers. Um, so I'm just curious to know what advice would you have for any person who identifies as a man who is maybe unsure of becoming an early childhood educator? Oh, good question. What advice would I give them? Yes. I would say definitely be yourself. I think a male educator is, again, rare, but it it has so much more to offer for society in a whole. For all these children growing up, they have that that chance for, you you can break stereotypes, not just to, to see a male in a, in a more, what do I think? In a more, say, female role, a male is, what would you call it? You can see more positive relationships with men, and they, de- they the children develop more positive views of maleness and masculinity. We're kind of breaking down the patriarchy in a sense. <laughs> yeah. So they they see you in a in a caring role, which yeah. help counter children's like sex stereotypes or gender roles or reduced sexism and kind of ge- just as a whole generally advanced gender equality. Right. Um, and it's also, I guess, a good way to kind of combat toxic masculinity. Yes. Yes. So a male teacher has a opportunity to like inspire young, younger boys to disregard the gender biases and mm-hmm. pursue their own kind of passions or identity or, or, thoughts and feelings right? mm-hmm. and they can also provide parents too with another choice of staff to approach or converse with instead yeah. of always just conversing with a women point of view they can converse with a male point of view I love that so much and I mean I think that's so crucial um, especially because you know as a woman it you know it's very different when you're you're trying to preach that it's okay for quote little boys to cry um, and you know, that can be met with a lot of backlash because, you know, oh, women were more emotional. So of course they're going to want, you know, boys to cry. And that I think typically tends to kind of be the toxic masculinity, um, answer, yeah. but you know, that's, you know, for you to, to point out that it's, you know, it would be crucial to have that male perspective to say, Hey, you know, this is, this actually is okay. Mm-hmm. You know, is so simple yet so groundbreaking. Yes. Oh, thanks. I know. And you know, another thing I was thinking about earlier too was all the perceptions of 
play, all of, all of the way we look at rules and safety and, and what's right and what's wrong and, and how far can we push this and the way it's put out there in practice, all of that is all comes from a female point of view, right? Oh, this, is, this, this is the way you do this. This is the way you play. This is, this is your parameters around this tree. It's all, everything, your whole curriculum is based on a female point of view. Yes, totally. Like uh, female standards. None of it comes from a, a male point of view. Mm-hmm. And it's a completely different style. I yes. Think, right. It's a different perspective, male perspective and a female perspective of the same subject of the same curriculum, completely different. Yeah. I think. Totally. And, and I think a male can, he can break that, that discourse. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They, it'll, it, it gives them another perspective of, of seeing it that you can you know, converse with or, or, or discuss. Totally. And I, I think that, you know, especially like you were saying, when you're talking about safety, um, I think, you know, and it's, it is not uncommon, you know, for, you know, for men and women to have different viewpoints, you know, could this be and that goes, you know, that's kind of always been a topic of nature versus nurture, right? It's not uncommon, you know, and it's funny that you say that because I'm kind of I'm kind of reflecting back on an experience when I did, you know, when I did briefly work um, with a male educator in a three to five program, you know, and how there was a little bit of um, headbutting between him, who at the time, I believe he was 22, you know, very new in the field, coming with new ideas and new philosophies and a new energy, you know, kind of discussing why it was okay for children to do X, Y, and Z at the playground. Um, But then the other educator who was, who was a woman, who was who had been in the field and more specifically in that center for over 25 years, you know, and, and she's going, no, you can't do that. That's absolutely not, you know, not acceptable. We've never let children do this, this, and that all the other women back up this educator because yep, that's a safety issue. Children are going to get hurt. They're going to get scraped. They're going to break their legs. They're going to do this, 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 and that. And having that educator go, children are supposed to get scrapes and you know, they're supposed to fall. They are going to get bumps and bruises. They are going to get bumps and, but that's how they're, that's how they learn. That's how they know where their limits are. Totally. I need to keep them in a bubble. Yeah. I mean, like I get, I think that that's also like, you know, that's a whole other debate is when we're keeping children quote safe versus when they're, when we're bubble wrapping them and sending them off into the world. Right. Yeah. And there's, there's a, there's a difference between, so when you're doing risk taking, there's a difference between a hazard and a risk. Mm-hmm. And that's what you got to know the, the, the difference. That's what an educator has to know the difference between what is a hazard and what is a risk when they're doing a, like a risky play or, or in a uncomfortable position. For sure. Yeah, totally. Oh, I think I did a workshop once and it was, uh, I, I think one of the photos was of children with, um, you know, using a power drill 
with, um, you know, what, with an educator or an adult, I'm, I'm not sure, uh, you know, properly showing them how, how to use it and what, you know, the, the safety rules around it were right. So, you know, to be, so that they could still use it, they're still be seeing them capable of using it, yeah. just, you know, showing them, this is how we're going to do it properly to avoid, you know, this happening, right. Versus, you know, you know, and how that saying, you know, this is, you know, we're, we're allowed, we're seeing children as capable and we're allowing them to use, you know, a power tool for, you know, and that's fine, you know, nobody, you know, as, as long as we're within the vicinity and showing children, you know, how to do it properly, it's going to yeah. be okay versus giving them, let's say a bag of glass and saying, okay, have at it, right? Yeah. That's, that's funny how you give that example, because that's totally what I did in, when I was working at a preschool. I, a preschool for a year and mm-hmm. I would do the same thing I brought in electric drills and 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 like actual saws that that cut not like the fake saws but like kid-sized saws and real hammers and nails and when we would when we would do carpentry projects together and but but you're right as long as it's in the in the proper parameters you know they all had the, the the gloves on and the safety goggles and this is how you use a saw and this is this is a cross cut saw so you need to to push more pressure when you're going with the down cut not the up cut. you know like this just these kind of of skills mm-hmm. and the kids just eat it up because they're like you're you're respecting me that I, that I have the capability of, of, of using a real saw a real drill you know what I mean? And they, they feel so much like they're, they feel so much more empowered that, that they get to actually use this stuff. It's, yeah. And it's it just, but then again, that also builds the trust. It builds, you know what I mean? It builds that relationship that you have with the child. It, totally. it just, there's so many positives that come out of it. And they respond to you so well, because like you said, you know, you're, you're the adult that trusts them to use quote a grown-up tool, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, and I mean, like apart from that, but let's talk about, you know, learning a basic life skill, you know, it's a good, you know, it's a good skill to have to know how to use a drill. Totally is a good <laughs> skill, right? How to pump up a bike. Come on. Yeah, yeah, totally. I love that. I think that's amazing. And I think, you know, that's something that I think many of us, you know, and I, I think that's something that's still quite lacking you know, in, in early childhood education, you know, the, the introduction of like those grown up tools, because, you know, typically, you know, typically and traditionally, you know, women never, you know, we didn't use power tools, you know, I know in, in my, um, in my, you know, growing up, that was not the case for me, because my, you know, the men in my family were very much like, you need to learn not to depend on a man. So I'm going to show you how to do this and you need to learn how to bench press. Right. (laughs) Um, You know, but I also knew other women um, growing up who, you know, to this day, they don't, you know, they can't use, they couldn't, you know, they can't use a drill. And the simple reason was, you know, they never, they were basically flat out told by their, you know, by, you know, women in their life, um, you know, girls don't do that. Ladies don't do that. Young ladies don't do this. Like that's, that's a boy's thing to do. Right. So they went to the more quote domestic that, you know, they were taught the domestic things, but, you know, yet their brothers were, were taught, you know, how to use, you know, power, you know, power lawnmowers. Exactly. Like I, I learned to mow a lawn like last year. Cause my father-in-law was like, you should know how to do this here. Charge it up. 
there are good, there are it's an excellent skill to have yeah it i i really don't think it's as common in early childhood just again because you know again the field is so predominantly female and you know we're slowly starting to kind of come out of this you know traditional thinking and you know seeing the effects of women really you know not really being um you know, not really using those, you know, knowing those type, uh, using those materials or having, um, or having those skills. And I think that's something that would be so amazing to have in, in, uh, in early learning centers. And I would be curious to know if it would be more common um, as we get more male educators in the field. So, so do you think we are going to be getting more male educators in the field? I, you know, I really hope so. If we, if our wages go up. <laughs> yeah. I totally see if, if the wages go up that there, there will be an influx. Yeah. So how I, do we make that happen? Pardon me? How do we make that happen, Kayla? I, well, I was going to say what, like, as a male educator, what do you need from, you know, what do you need from us? <laughs> what do you, you know, what do you, what do you need from this community Um, you know, not only to advocate, uh, you know, for more diversity in this field, uh, obviously, we need more, you know, we need higher wages. So that also means that we as educators need to stop being so, you know, you know, fine with things as they are. And I think that's something that we we hear so many times as an argument. Um, you know, when we demand more, like we want higher wages. Oh yeah. I know you want higher wages, but you have to remember that it's actually worse here. So you're doing better off than most people. <laughs> All politics. Oh, totally. Very political, political. And, and I was one of my friends of mine, we were talking and she, and, and she was saying, everything's about power and money. Mm, Everything has to do with power and money. And yes. they're, they're, they play off each other. Mm-hmm. Without money, you don't have power. With power, you get you have the money. So we have the power. We have the power, and we look after so many children. Our sector runs the rest of the province. Without yes. without, without us, these people can't go to work. You this know, is, there's so much power in that. So where's the money part come in? That's what I'm asking. That's what I know. It's funny um, that you say that the, you know, our sector very much controls, you know, the workforce because without us, parents can't go to work. Absolutely. And so I've, you know, I've always wondered if maybe, maybe you and I should get on this. What if we were to stage a province-wide walkout? Oh man. You know what I mean? Like just one day. We set a date and we tell all educators, you know, the re- you know, nobody will listen to us unless they physically see the repercussions of employers not being able to go to work. Oh, absolutely. Let's start yeah. that. Let's I that. think we well, should. <laughs> we'll set a date and then we'll, we'll circulate it on social media and we'll just tell everybody, you know, on this day at this time, you're leaving your, you know, we walk out. We walk out or we just, we close the doors. Yeah. People show up and go, what's going on? This is why you need us. This is why we're valuable. I think so. And you know what? It kind of comes back to that whole power. If, if one day every educator across BC says, we are not going to work today. I think that would make us, you know, that would be substantial. 
Oh, it would be. It would totally make a statement. That, that, but that, that statement turns into politics. Yep. The people are going to be complaining to their local officials, their, right? You know what I mean? And that's where the political power, it's the political power that makes the change. You hear, you heard it here first, listeners. We're, we're Ward and I are going to work on this. That's right. We're picking a date now. You want some input? Uh, no, honestly, you know what though? Like it honestly is something that has come to mind many times. You know, it, how, for lack of better words, how screwed would people be if, you know, if there was not a place for them to take their children where people could not, you know, rely on on having that um that sense of safety that you know their child is being not only looked after but cared after and well by professionals and you know i really i really do believe that unless you know you kind of take that away and you slowly see the domino effect of what it means then wages don't go up yes yes the you need some some movement, some source of, of action like that to, to have people realize or appreciate what this sector does. I, I say we get on that. And then hopefully with our domino effect, we get higher wages and we get more men in our field in the sector. Yeah. That would see that that would generate more men for sure. Um, so before um, we end off on this, uh, you did write an article for one of the ECEBC journals about your experience on this topic. The executive director Emily is a friend of mine. Okay. And she is, and at, at the time I was also I was on the board. So you wanted to talk about trying to make change. So I was on the board of directors mm-hmm. for ECEBC for six years. Uh, I just stepped down now and she asked me to write an article. So they were doing in their journals, they, they were getting, I think, I think she got three, they want, were looking for three viewpoints. Okay. So she asked me to write an article um, for ECB, ECEBC. And so of course, sure. Why not? Why not Emily? <laughs> uh, but this is like, I think I've written three articles for, for ECEBC already. Okay. It's my third article, I think. Wow. Yeah, one was on like leadership and one was on like just different different topics. Love it. Um, and so out, out of this came a lot of, for me, a lot of awareness, a lot of thinking back, a lot of yeah, what 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 like like you were saying, what what were my experiences? What you know, what I mean, a lot of reflection of of my basically 30 year career of being a male. I, I hadn't really thought of it um, until um, she asked me to write this article. And I, I spent a couple of weeks just thinking about it and then doing some research on it. And then when I did start writing, it just flowed out of me. Yeah. And like two, three pages later, um, a lot, you can see a lot of my thinking, but a lot of my heart went, went into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it it was definitely uh, an eye an eye opener for me of what it what it is being what it does feel like being a male in this field, mm-hmm. and then literally eight months later, I get this email from you going, "Hey, you want to be on my podcast about about being a male in ECE?" I was like, "Oh, perfect timing! It just <laughs> it, it, it just flowed it just flowed nicely." 
It's like the universe knew that you had to get your, so you had to word your experience out there and share your experiences, right? Totally. If you don't put it out there, it just, it just came right back to me in a different way. But this is basically, it's just another platform, I guess, right? Totally. Yeah. It's one platform and a podcast and, and kudos to, to you and Lisa for doing this. Cause, cause I think it's, it's so valuable. It's so like, I've never seen a platform on this before in, in this, in this way. And, and I think it's, I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant. I think you guys are doing such an awesome job. Thank you so much. That really means a lot. And I think I, I think I can speak for uh, on behalf of Lisa as well, that I think that one of the greatest things about this platform and the creation of this podcast is the ability to connect with um, so many wonderful educators and for putting amazing educators in our path like yourself. Um, so for that, I'm extremely grateful. And I think that this has been such an amazing conversation. It has been, it has been. And remember I was talking about relational, for me, relational practices is my strongest strength. Yes. I got, I got another friend now. I got another, I got another person who's- Perfect. Here. <laughs> and, and we're gonna advocate for change, right? We are gonna advocate it advocate for change and you're so close by and it's a good connection now if you need anything call me up if i go like kayla i have an idea i can just email you now perfect (laughs) that's one of the greatest things i think about this field is like it it is a small community but we're so interconnected and you know when you build those relationships like I think it's not, you know it's not um it's not far out there for me to say that they are lifelong um connections they totally are. They totally are. It is, it is a very relational field. I think that's what this field attracts is, mm-hmm. is people with emotion, people with passion, people who want to drive this society further. I am so ecstatic that we were able to have this conversation. I am also very much looking forward to our our walkout, our staged walkout. <laughs> that let's do it. Going. I say let's do it. I, I let's do it. I, I'm 100% for it. I think that that's, you know, that's going to be something that's going to make an impact. Absolutely. I agree. I love it. Well, before we sign off on this, um, I would just like to say again, thank you so much um, for, uh, you know, talking to us about your experiences and, um, are we able to find your, um, your article <laughs> online? Um, I'm not sure if it's on the website or not the CEBC website. I know they have past journals on there. Okay. Um, but I'm not sure if there's journals up yet or if they have the back issues in there or not, um, that you'd have to check with ECEBC. Okay. We'll, we'll do I'm that. sure they would put it up if you ask. All right. Perfect. Well, thank you again so much, Ward. And um, I hope that this is the first of many collaborations. Oh, me too. Me too. And so I want to thank you for, for inviting me as well. I think this is awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you again, Kayla. Thanks for listening in on this week's episode of EC Honestly. If you have any questions or comments, send us an email at echonestly at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram at echonestly.